You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to the latest episode of the Scottish Football Forums podcast, season 10, episode 61. I'm John, and tonight joined by Scott. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, you. Yeah, good, good. Good to get you back on this week. Very good um, to be back. Yes. So we have decided to focus on this week is ways that we think Scottish football could be improved, whether it be off the pitch or on the pitch. Um, this is on the back of your article for Supporters Direct Scotland. Yeah. It's a really good read, so if any of you have not seen it. Yeah, so it's, it. it's scottishsupporters.net that you'll find the article, but yeah, it was for Supporters Direct Scotland, so uh, it, was a, it was an interesting topic because it's Somebody had mentioned um, something about Ireland. I don't know if it's kind of politically or, or whatever. Like, where, where would you want to see Ireland in 30 years' time? And it's a case of basically be as ambitious, be as um, hopeful as you want. Don't, don't, don't let anything kind of hinder your thought process. Um, so we just kind of engineered it around Scottish football and kind of... Um, there's a link on the, the art school for people they can go and do a kind of survey mon- monkey thing and say, suggest their own things. Um, and it's basically what would you, what, what is it out there that would change Scottish football for the better? Yeah. So you're saying I, I was inspired by Ireland as a country as opposed to Irish football? Yeah, I, I think so. It may have been Irish football, but I'm pretty sure it was actually about the country. You know, um, so how, how long have you been involved with? ScottishSupporters.net? Uh, for so Supporters Direct Scotland, I've been three or four years now. Yeah, so regular articles and video content. Um, it's a great, it really is a great organisation. Um, they look, uh, they helped um, kind of teams like Hearts and St Mirren into buying into their own clubs and stuff like that. They've done that in the past. They're a big advocate of the SLOs, the supporter liaison officers. Um, It's just to try and get as much football back into the the fans' hands as possible and having clubs listen to fans, having uh, dialogue between supporters groups and police and stuff like that. So it's, um, yeah, it's a fantastic organisation for that sort of thing. I did I see as well recently there's a kind of European network as well. Yeah, so uh, is it SD Europe? Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. The, um... I think the reason why I seen it is because it was talk about how you know how there's always a talk, and this is maybe that's one thing we can maybe start talking about the whole like let's get Scottish teams involved in some kind of European league, um, and there was fans united from across Europe to say no, we don't want that. Yeah. So it's SD SD Europe. Um, they've got and they've got links uh, with supporters direct Scotland as well. Um, yeah, I've never ever, apart from maybe when I was a kid when you first kind of heard about a Super League or an Atlantic League, I've, I've never really been overly enthralled by it. Um, it's the same when I ever thought of Rangers and Celtic going to the uh, English Premier League. It doesn't actually fill me with much uh, joy because I probably more of a traditionalist than anything else and 
I think Scottish football would be worse without Rangers and Celtic. I know people will uh, argue that point. Um, and I think Rangers and Celtic would be worse without Scottish football. I don't think, you know, it, it, it would benefit, you know, obviously it would benefit financially, but you're then trying to work out these wee new rivalries and, you know, going down south and all the rest of it. It's good for, for a, a few seasons and then it starts becoming the norm and a bit boring anyway. So I, I, it's the same with the, the European... I, I prefer your kind of European Cup slash Champions League um, stuff like that um, rather than... He's gonna because it's always the same when you think of a European Super League, it's just there for the wealthiest of the wealthy clubs, and yeah, the, the, the fans don't that's not going to appease fans for too long. Yeah, I think it's inevitable it will happen. There'll be some kind of European League, but it will just be the elite clubs, and there'll be a lot of countries and clubs getting left behind. I think you've seen talk elsewhere about I think it was like Belgian teams getting involved in the Dutch League and different things like that. And there was talk of Portuguese teams getting involved in Spanish leagues and all sorts, but just keep it as is. It's I fine. don't think I don't think fans will support it in the long run. Um if it means that they give up on their Serie A's, their La Ligas, Bundesligas, because one going away becomes uh, nigh on impossible. We can't go to every away game unless you're a millionaire. Money just ruins it for me. Um, and if you look at like Man City and stuff, it's hard, on, hard enough for them to try and get any um, decent crowds into these games um, at the best of times. Never mind if they got to do it on a weekly basis. Yeah, I think as well, probably what you would find is if Rangers and Celtic were to join, can I, some, can I say it like this? There'll be even more pressing claims for them. I want to have a cold steam still here. It would be a case of well, I don't think you can have your cake and eat it being both places. No, and um, you know, uh, why would the rest of Scottish football put up with that? I don't understand. Um, so your first big point in the article, which probably we all were guilty of it at times, is what do we call the league? Uh, because currently it's called the Scottish Premiership, but how many people actually call it the Scottish Premiership? Yeah, it, listen, I automatically always call it the Scottish Premiership. It's ingrained in me. I'm one of these pedantic people who will constantly call it that um, until it, it gets changed. But the casual fan, the people from abroad, the footballers, the people who work um, club tweets, uh, more often than not, if, if you know, I mentioned in the article, if you go on Google and you start typing in Scottish Prem, it's the Scottish Premier League that comes up. It's the SPL that people would mention. That's the, and if it's that's ingrained in people's minds, then why? I don't understand why we changed it. I don't understand why we just don't change it back because it's still after what, um, 10 years, nine years? Aye. It's about like the reverse of England because England was known as the Premiership and then yes. they changed it to the Premier League. And it's still I, would, kind of, I would dare say most folk in England still call it a Premiership. I yeah, know. I would say it's, like, it's maybe not as prominent as it is up here, but it, yeah, it's still people will probably call it the Premiership more down south for the English Premiership than we do up here for the Scottish Premiership. You see a lot of people who just automatically call it the SPL. Yeah. Um, so if that's if that's, I think 
you know, we've had a, a decent enough amount of time if that's not changing and that's the metric system at Google, that's with people on Twitter, that's with a lot of news agencies around the world. Um, it, it, it just flows better, you know, you know, it's to say the Scottish Premiership or just to call it the SPL, SPL it's easier to say SPL, it's just that it flows off the tongue easier. It's, you know, I know we changed and all everybody came together and all the rest of it, but I think now's the time just to rebrand it and put it back again. Aye, something that ties in with the rebranding is the fact that marketing are getting better so that we actually have a, a sponsor. That would be good. Exactly. We are obviously sponsorless. And if you, if you go to a company and you see the Scottish Premiership and they kind of know it as the SPL, SPL, then they're going to think, well, we don't know what the Scottish Premiership is. And if they have to Google it and it comes up Scottish Premier League first, it's just it's, it's just so complicated and so mixed. Um, another point um, with the rebranding that I mentioned was that every league should have its own Twitter account. Every league should have its own kind of marketing sense as well. So instead of everything being closed in this SPFL, we should have, the championship should get a, a more of a say in how the, the championships run, how it gets seen around the world, and the same for League One and League Two. It's, um... Aye, well, that's something we've spoken about a fair bit in terms of TV and the fact that why is it just the, the premiership yeah. that gets shown? Uh, you may, Well, you see the championship, obviously. You've got Friday night game in BBC Scotland. We're now seeing some of the women's football getting shown as well through the BBC site. Yeah, but it, it should be the women's game should be a whole highlights thing on TV. You've got BBC Scotland Channel, that's ideal for that every kind of Sunday night or Monday night. Um, just have a, a, a one live game. If it was me, I would go for one live game a week and plus a full highlights package and give it the kind of respect I think it's due. Um, and the same for the lower leagues. Even if you have a comprehensive um, online presence for the lower leagues of Scottish football, where we see every single goal and we see people talking about it. Um, and I think the the Terrace podcast going onto TV has shown that it does work. People are interested. People do watch. Um, because it isn't about Rangers and Celtic, and it's not about the Scottish Premiership, it's about the whole of Scottish football. What do you mean? There's more than two teams in Scotland. What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. Absurd accusation. But, um, but we play into the hands. Do you know what I mean? That's the thing. We don't market it any differently, or we don't market enough differently. That There is lazy stereotypes that we just hand over to those that are making those lazy stereotypes because we aren't actually picking up. And that's the, you know, going back to uh, Supporters Direct Scotland, that's what I've been doing for the last three or four years, always picking up in these kind of special community projects from clubs like Pollock, from uh, Cumnock, from, uh, you know, Clyde, Power Chair Football and things like that. And that's what the, the, the boys at the terrace do as well. Um, and that's what we should be kind of selling the, the game as a whole. Yeah, I have to say, we, I watched the from the on Friday. They always do, I think it's tremendous. Um, the bit about Clyde Bank, though, and the fact that we've got a wee to be continued, um, I like that as well. It's interesting. There's some great stories they do. The stuff on there, especially when they look at the likes of your clubs like that, I think. Yeah, the, 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 the really... Um, and getting speak, people behind the ground. 
speaking, prof- well. speaking professionally um, and, and the video production side of things, they tell a story so well with their, their images, with their, their um, choice of music, the soundtracks, um, their interviews and stuff like that. They, they tell a whole, a whole story, well-rounded, and it's top quality. Yeah. I support going back to the, the thing about the marketing as well. It doesn't help when the TV companies like Sky are definitely only really interested in Rangers and Celtic. And we spoke about recently um, Premier Sports player definitely raging the fact that neither Rangers or Celtic got to the semi-finals, let alone the final of the tournament. Um, the, it, again, we should then look at it and say, right, okay, well, if you want that Sell it as a separate package. So if you're wanting that, that's fine. But we're also going to sell a package where it's one game a week that doesn't involve either Rangers or Celtic. And try and sell that off to somebody, you know, whether it's BBC um, or whether it's um, Premier Sports, probably not, uh, BT, whoever, you know, or somebody who can produce something online. Let's get you know something like that done rather than just going right. Okay, this is the one package that we're going to do, and we know that they're going to concentrate on every Rangers and Celtic away game, um, and the, the old fun games. Yeah, you think you would think during just now with the fact that everything's going on like um, the last year with the pandemic and everything like that would have been a perfect time to get things sorted in terms of TV content, whatever way it was. It could have just been on. On websites, it doesn't necessarily have to be on TV channels because plenty of us will go on and stream stuff from our tablets to our TVs, our smart TVs and everything like that. The thing is, as I say, you know, you have to, when it, when it came to this kind of article and it comes to the Scottish football utopia, there is no glass ceiling. So why don't we talk about the kind of fabled, at the time, SPL TV and having SPFL TV it's a lot easier to do now. We know it is because every team pretty much in the country has managed to put pay-per-view telly on, online, pay-per-view content. So so surely if we centralised it and made it for every single fan, then we can sell it easier into a bigger crowd and it's a kind of way of then giving it back to the fans, let them choose what games they want to watch, have a bit more of a variety. Um, we can then look at changing the times of kickoffs. We don't need to worry about the English Premier League because um, it's not going to be under Sky's um, umbrella. So we can play whenever the fans want to see the games. Friday night, fine. Sunday lunchtime, Sunday evening, Saturday evening, whatever the fans want it. Again, I don't know about the three o'clock situation once it comes back, but let's look at it. Let's say, well, let's get rid of that agreement if that's what the fans want, if that was what makes it easier, if we're going to sell more subscriptions. Yeah. Would you have a t- would you have a TV channel for each league then, or do you think you would just put it all together as one? I would have it probably all together as one, but have a show for each particular league and have a game a live game rotating around the leagues as well, so it wouldn't just always be the, the top teams at the top leagues. Yeah, definitely. I think, I suppose, it would be the thing in terms of trying to get the right times that folk will want to watch it. Um, I think you, could, you could do that. 
you could do that. Sorry for butting in, but you could do that at the same time as your uh, you sell your rights for the Rangers Celtic games, away games, for instance, to Sky. So you still get your money from Sky, but then you've got a new avenue for the rest of the, the teams when they're not playing Rangers and Celtic. Yeah, I think there'd be a demand for it, definitely. I mean, uh, quite often I would rather watch something like, I don't know, Cove Rangers Falkirk than Real Madrid buying Munich for the 70 millionth time in the Champions League. Um, so, yeah, definitely think there is an appetite for it and thought we'd, we'd watch it. I suppose we'd have to consider things like pricing, what would the pricing be like, um, make sure as well the money's getting distributed fairly as well. And that's always been a bug where I understand the, right, the, the fact and the weird argument will be Rangers and Celtic bring more money to the game. However, we're always going to be in a situation where Rangers and Celtic, they make enough income maybe elsewhere. Could there be a fairer way of distributing the money amongst other teams? I think yep. so, um, but I can see I can see the other side of the argument. I can't see it. Not necessarily agree with it, but I can see it. But it has to be more democratic, and it kind of that kind of brings us into the point that um, Chris um, put on our uh, group chat um, of instead of having every club having a vote when it comes to tough decisions maybe we should just have a a, a five man five person even sorry panel talking talking about what decisions need to be made you know maybe that is a, a better way of doing things and having everybody has an, an individual vote because then you've got kind of turkeys voting on Christmas you know it doesn't things don't change I I think the thing's always been is we always know with the board and like that that there is club representatives on the board and they always act in their best interest, which is, I suppose it's going to happen. But then I suppose we've got the other side of things where we've got the likes of Doncaster coming in and you think, what do we want? Um, yes, we should have a system in place whereby it's a, a, fairer, a fairer system and something that can just be decisive. Market all the things we've we mentioned already and more market the game, um, get a sponsor, do things for the good of the game and not just a few clubs. You know, the, 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 there has to be better ways around it. And the thing about Scottish football that really still hasn't hit home as much as it should have, especially in the last year, is the biggest stakeholders are the fans. Without the fans, pretty much every team dies in the last 12 months. So they have to get a, big, a better say. And again, that was one of my points in the article. There should be fan representatives on every single board in the Scottish pyramid scheme. And that, you know, the, the, it, there is more and more. Um, it's worked well, um, the St Mirren stuff, um, Motherwell and things like that. So this is when we're talking about teams in the top league have, have got fan representatives. Yeah. So... so Every single club now should, um, as a, almost as a kind of tribute for the work that's happened during the pandemic, paying for pay-per-views, paying extra, getting their, their masks from the clubs, getting more merchandise, bricks, memorial bricks, and all the rest that they've done in the last 12 months, um, volunteers and everything else. It should be a kind of, in my thought, a mandatory situation where every single club 
then has a fan representative on the board. Yeah, I think the big thing as well with the fans being missing and different things like that is more more than ever, you feel that clubs need to understand that it's a community. A club is a community. 100%. Um, almost a society in itself in terms of the way that they impact the fans. I'm not seeing any surveys on it, but you can imagine like for happiness, fan happiness this season has been very mixed up and down. Because um, at the start of the season, then there's a, well, yeah, I suppose people were thinking, yeah, there's going to be fans getting back at certain times to the games. Whereas like, the likelihood is now we're going to get to the end of the season. The only uh, it's going to be test events that happened. There'll be no fans at the games. What are the clubs going to do to give back to the fans? What better way of doing it than give them representation on the board? Yeah, I think there's uh, definitely been more. And there are some. To be fair, there's been some clubs that have been doing some good things. I've seen. Hundred uh, percent. And when you talked about community. And in the same token, some football clubs have gone above and beyond and have been the, the kind of heartbeats of their community. Stenhouse, Muir, yeah. Partick Thistle, um, you know, off the top of my head, Hearts as well. Um, you know, with the big Hearts uh, charity arm of, of, of the football club, uh, Hibs Foundation and stuff. That, you know, there are a lot of clubs out there. Aberdeen have got a fantastic uh, foundation as well. Um and it's junior teams as well. Um, the Cumnock, uh, of they they were saying, uh, what was it? They they had enterprise. Um, the, the enterprise, yeah. They, they had. Um, I think if people have suffering through furlough or whatever with messages that they had stuff for people in terms of food and things like that. So that's the situation. So it, it very much has been hand in hand. Fans have saved clubs and clubs have helped the communities. Um, but again, when you talk about how clubs have helped the communities, it's again via, a lot of it's via volunteers and a lot of it's via man, fans putting money back into to these foundations, charities and whatever. Um, so again, that's why I feel every single club in Scottish football, should have a fan representative on the board. They don't listen. They don't. It's it's not. Um, let's dispel the rumours. They're not there picking the manager. They're not there picking the, the the team. They're there to help and understand the process and then filter the news back. Um, Kathy Jameson does a fantastic job with Kowalnik in terms of filling that, that information back down. Um, so it's. It's not about fans coming in and getting all their own way. It's just a, for them to understand more and to help. You know, David Nicholl did a fantastic job at St Mirren um, as a fan representative on the board, and he did so well that they then made him a board member and had another fan um, representative at the same time. I think he's now left that position, but it showed how good that it was to, in that role that he was then kept on and they brought somebody else so that they still had that filtering down and somebody else learning the, the, the experience from him. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would be... That's a short-term goal that, for me, I think should happen. See, on the back of everything that's going on the last year, do you think ticket prices will be frozen next year? To what they were when fans were allowed to go to games or do you think the clubs will try and get as much revenue out of the fans again through the gate? I did. I would be wary of raising prices if I was any football club in the, in the short term that nobody knows when fans will get back in. And on the back of that, should we have a 
flat pricing structure in the league respective leagues? Uh, I'm always a bit more for democracy and for a kind of level playing field but we do live in a society in a, a world where it's still a lot of uh, business you know kind of trumps everything else um, so personally I would like a kind of flat fee but I know that that's not always um, got to be supported and that's maybe a harder thing to try and push over the line in a kind of quick instance. As I say, I think in terms of in terms of putting prices up, as I say, I'd be wary because if there's another spike, if they don't get to fulfil the season tickets again and things like that, it causes a lot more because people will then be up in arms. Yeah, I think that's something that's going to be very interesting to see, isn't it? Season what season ticket? Um, yeah, it's... Will be like. I, I, I think most clubs at the moment are obviously holding back because. They don't want. They don't want to. A few of them will be worried what they have to do. Maybe putting money back to fans um, for this season because they didn't kind of. Um, yeah, they didn't yeah. think it was going to be the full season it was going to last. Which, to be fair, none of us did. Um... No, but then, then again, none of us are running a business. I think if you're running a business, you have to then plan accordingly. And that's the only thing I'll say in that. Yeah. Going back to the, the voting thing, because if we weren't to get the, the ideal system in place, certainly the voting structure should change. We've still got the 10-2 system in the top flight. Uh, the lower leagues is it something like it's slightly better two, but yeah it's I think it's is it two thirds or something like that something like yeah, that yeah something like that um, yeah I, mean, I think the I mean the 10 structure just is just is crazy no I would, I would I think it would be more a case of a majority of what wins for me yeah like it is in most situations yeah I think I think if you've got twelve teams and what two of them can veto anything, just come together and say, "Listen, this isn't good for us." It it, it panders to corruption, really, or it panders to um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, conspiracy theory. Yeah, because because that's what it opens itself up to. And again, you're then. What it's not so much now as it has been in the past, but very much before Rangers um, went down to the the bottom tier, it was basically just Rangers and Celtic just had that kind of partnership where things didn't go for them, then they would just vote it vote it down, and you're again just pandering to the big two. Yeah. So most of the stuff we've talked about as well, I would say some of it comes down to maybe a lack of professionalism in some parts, um, which brings me on to a point made by one of our listeners, Lee, who's a Rangers fan. So his suggestion would be professional referees in our yeah. league. I think it's comical that we don't have professional referees. Um, I think it's something that I've been calling for for the last couple of years at least. If you, th- if you think about it, it just makes... N- natural kind of sense to think that somebody's going to take more um, they're going to be better at their job if they're actually professional if that's all their outlook is in terms of the week 
is preparing for that game of football. They're going to be fitter. They're going to be more switched on. They've got time to research the rules. I would have a kind of exam process twice a season for them. Um, have everything in place to support them in terms of um, counselling and if they need that. Because you know, let's not get away from the fact that fans do hound them, media hounds them. Uh, and things like that. So you, you'd have every support in place. You know, we want to help them make better decisions. Um, why we've not got goal line technology is beyond me as well, because it's one aspect that, and it has proved itself as being kind of the technology works. So is that the only technology you would have? Well, so that's what I was just about to go on to. VAR isn't strong enough in my eyes. Um, it does take a bit of time. And if we haven't got professional referees, then again, it adds another aspect that you couldn't even do. Uh, but no, I, I, wouldn't, I would hold off on VAR and I would be more inclined to put my money into uh, goal line technology, which is a proven science. How far down would you take it? The goal line technology, would it go down all the leaks or would it just be the top flight? Well, it, it all depends on the structure. Uh, if if it was down to me and it was more of a level playing field financially for everybody, then I would try and take it down as low as possible. Um, but knowing the way it currently sits in Scot- with Scottish football, it probably would be the Premiership would get it first. Um, that doesn't sit easy with me, but that's what I think would happen. Yeah, it's generally what happens in most countries, I think, to be fair. Um, so we're probably not unique in that aspect. Going back to the subject of professional referees, obviously a great idea from Lee. Um, it's been spoken about, as you say, for years. On the back of that, something else we've talked about for years is why do referees not come out after the games and talk about decisions? I've had to kind of change a wee bit on that because of the abuse that referees, particularly uh, down south, but it does happen up here, have suffered in the last kind of 12 months. I think they'd be damned if they do, damned if they don't. And I think it kind of opens them up to more attacks. Um, I don't know if there's a, a better way around it. I don't know if maybe we should have match reports available to us on a Tuesday or something like that that comes on... Uh, the SFA website or something and makes it a bit more kind of transparent and we're not kind of picking holes uh, in one particular person. Um, so I would, I would like more transparency, but I don't think I would necessarily put them in front of the firing line. Um, so certainly not just now before, the, if, if they aren't professional, maybe if they're professional and, they're kind of supported in that aspect. Um, I'd just be worried, especially the way society is just now, it's a wee bit toxic. And I don't think, um, I think we'd probably drive more referees away from the game than uh, anything else. Yeah. But uh, Northern, I think, as well, it's important as the disciplinary procedures that we have in place just now. Some of them, you can wonder what's going on, especially when folk are maybe reviewing decisions and it takes about three, four weeks for anything to be decided. Um, and there's other things that we've had situations last year, like the, the COVID and the suspensions and players getting suspended about four weeks after the actual event, um, in which time, obviously, players have managed to play in certain games 
the suspension things as well, some in terms of for cards and different things like that, and the way it works. I know, I know people will know from listening to me on this podcast um, this season, every single time these sort of things crop up, I always say the SPFL and the SFA just rushed into making sure this season happened and didn't actually sort out all these processes like they should have done. There's no due, due diligence, they rushed into it. And people will say, oh, but they did, you know, they kind of had to, they didn't. They actually had longer to think about it because the, the season stopped in March. So you, we should have had the procedures in place for COVID um, suspensions and this, that, and that. And I, I never agreed with that. And if people catch COVID, then they've got an illness. It's better in a pandemic to to restrict it as much as possible. And it just becomes a kind of farce if you start fining clubs and uh, demo, uh, taking points away or anything like that. For a, in a pandemic during a pandemic for catching an illness, um, players if they get caught, um, like uh, Bali at uh, Celtic and the, the Rangers, seven players in total I think at Rangers, um, the, the the Aberdeen players as well. If you're caught doing something stupid, Dundee um, United uh, springs to mind as well. If you get players that do something stupid, they should then be held accountable uh, and, you know, you could then fine uh, and suspend them um, and, you know, maybe if you if you want to open up, you could fine clubs for not, you know, having their players adhering to the rules. But I don't think in terms of sitting, you know, maybe the kind of St Mirren, um, who was it again? St Mirren and... Kilmarnock. Kilmarnock. You know, the kind of sitting close to each other in the bus or something, you know, that was just ridiculous as far as I was concerned. You never know, we'll maybe see a change because there's a new compliance officer who has started this month. So maybe let's be let's be uh, optimistic that we'll see changes going forward. Um, he's only just in the role. I actually didn't know who the new guy was yet, or new person, uh, but Andrew Phillips is the guy who is the new compliance officer who is a, a lawyer. I think when it comes to a compliance officer, I would probably have more of a committee than the one person because it's, when it's one person, the pressure seems to be too much and they're then kind of um, scrutinised uh, to the nth degree and clubs will call foul, whereas if it's more kind of a three-man, three-person panel, I think it, that makes life easier. At the moment... For as long as I've known of a compliance officer, I've known of an inept compliance officer. I don't think I've seen one yet that's um, got much out, out of it. Um, so and I, I, don't, I don't, I don't automatically blame them for that. I think it's just it's a, it's a, a nigh on impossible task for one person. Should we have people that are not involved in the game, or should it be people that know the rules of the game and are involved in football, maybe past professionals? Um, a bit of both, probably, because um, I think I think sometimes when you have when you have it one way, um, kind of standards slip, or it's a case of you know if if you have say for instance three ex players or two ex referees or whatever, 
they always hark back to their time maybe too much. So sometimes their experience hinders them. And if you have three play, three people who have never had any sort of me, uh, any sort of experience in the the the, game, the world of football, then they're always kind of scrutinised and people find them wanting because they haven't got that experience. So if you've got a, a blend of both, I think that's always a better kind of way of doing it. Maybe even recently retired referees. Yeah, um, would be good. But then you, you, the problem is with that, you, you then have you know the kind of few Dallas incidences and stuff like that. People always throw up onto it. Just I've I've got no issue with a, a, a former referee getting into a kind of role like that. But again, I would just have it more as a kind of committee than that one person. Yeah. Um, other suggestions that I've seen, which we've seen some of it come back. In terms of safe standing, but it's Terrison coming back. We're never going to get through Terrison. Um, I know some grounds in the lower leagues have got it, but it's unlikely to happen in the top fight. That's why I love going to Alexa, Somerset, Capolo, and to name a couple of two of my favourite grounds. I think the safe standing thing, I don't know what you make of it. It's a bit of a kind of diluted version of standing, isn't it? I, I don't know anyone that likes sitting at a game. Maybe older people, but I, I tend to stand anyway, regardless. Um, I I like sitting down, but then I don't know anything different in terms of um, growing up. Um, I was a Rangers fan growing up, so I would tend to go to Ibrox more often than not. Um, but going to places like Pollock in recent years and more kind of junior football and lower league stuff, I have no issue with standing. I kind of like the, the fact of the kind of lower leagues where you can walk around. Um, I prefer that. If I had to just stand in the one spot, I don't know if it would really be that much different. Um, I suppose... You go to the games just to get your step count up. <laughs> it's it's funny. I just like to kind of look at the games from different positions. But then again, because I'm a cameraman sometimes, you know, I'm filming anyway. But um, I think... I always think if you if you look at if you if you're able to walk around, you get actually a bigger picture of the game and how people are pretty. If you stand, the way I look at it, if you stand at one side, then you're only getting that kind of maybe the one team's right back. Whereas if you walk around, then you're seeing a bit more of the side from the left and a bit more from the kind of wingers and this that and the next thing. Um, but what you just to throw it back again, but what you'll find is I tend to do is it the likes of the, the junior matches when they were there in the lower leagues. I'll switch end for each yeah. half, depending on which way you're shooting, obviously. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't walk constantly. I'm not, like, walking around <laughs> <laughs> just every single, just doing laps of the, the, the pitch. Uh, but, you know, it's, like, I've been at a, kind of a game and I've just kind of followed the sun uh, at times, do you know what I mean, just to get kind of sun tan and keep warm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's, uh, but I like that you went freedom. To the football to get a suntan. No, I went to see the football, but I then got a suntan because I managed to follow around and get wherever the, the sun was. Yeah, uh, it was just a, an extra bonus. Um, because you know what it's like in Glasgow, we don't get the sun that often, so no. you don't want to be stuck in a stand in a 50,000 seat stadium and you'll not see any of it. Uh, so it's good to be at a ground where you can kind of walk around and 
Yeah. It's, no, it's to be fair, I almost get sunburned at a junior cup final at Rugby Park once because I had shorts on. Wearing shorts at football, like who would have thought it? Apart from if you're playing, obviously. Ah. Uh, <laughs> or you're Dimitri Kareem. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, I know safe standing uh, it has had a lot of benefits for Celtic. Um, I know the fans do like it. It is the kind of place that sells out season ticket wise or ticket wise the quickest. Um, people do ask for it. Um, and I know via games that have been in Europe, those are the places that fill up the quickest. I, I, I went to an NAC Breda game and I was, I got my times mixed up because of obviously when I looked at it, I saw the British time of kickoff. You were smoking anything funny? No, 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 it wasn't because I was smoking anything funny. So I, I got there about two hours before the game kicked off. And the only people that were with that were in the stadium at the same time as me was the caged away fans. So I actually noticed when the home fans started filtering in that it was the safe standing areas that filled up. Like they, yeah. they were they were full before people started going in and sitting in the, the seats. It's like the so, yellow wall at Dortmund. Like yeah, it's you wait fifteen years, I think, to get a season ticket there. It, so it, you know it, it it does work. And while uh, the one standout game for me and it's it's funny because it's always a game that I always look at when people say oh you can't get an atmosphere at Hamden uh, it was the playoff win against um, the Dutch yes. uh, under Bertie Votes and I, I stood up for the full game because I had to because everybody stood up for the full, the full game and the atmosphere was fantastic that day, that day I remember the posh the very posh seats oh you mentioned it was the only way we could get a ticket um, no, I did. Like, uh, do, right? uh, so, uh, but then a part of part of that isn't because it kind of it, it's hand, it's a bit hand in hand in terms of it's the anticipation, it's the fact that you're beating Holland, it's the the fact that everybody else stands. It's it, that builds up the anticipation straight away because everybody's standing. Um, so yeah, I, I would. I know a, a lot. A few of the teams uh, are thinking about it and have started discussions and um, looking at it. A, a pandemic might have slowed that down slightly, um, but I think it'd be great if we can get more safe standing in different stadiums in Scotland. Um, so another suggestion, which is something that's been discussed previously, probably on here, other places, everywhere. So we want a suntan at the football. We want to wear shorts. We want to break with tradition, summer football. We move Scottish football in Dubai. Why, why do we not have summer football? Now, you could say, even in the summer, our weather can be very, very disruptive. Yeah. I can still imagine that we would change to summer football and you'd get a game called off in July because it was too hot and Chris Burke can't play. You'd yeah. have to consider that. Chris Burke would have to say, sorry, I can't play. I'm sure there was two days last summer that would have got called off because the weather was too too bad still with rain and wind or something. I mean, it was, there was there was a couple of Saturdays where it was and it, it just, because I remember kind of tweeting about it going, oh, summer football still would get games called off. Again, I'm probably harking back to being a traditionalist. I've never really understood the, the call for summer football. Um, I think... I think you would see a kind of 
family divide happening um, within families that don't all support football. So if you've got a wife that supports football and husband that doesn't, or vice versa, then you're going to have people in, in a partnership or in a family thinking, well, why am I not going on holiday this year because in the summer because my partner wants to go he's got a season ticket for the football you know it's uh, I think it, get, it does give you that kind of extended period where schools are off and families can be together and stuff like that and we have to remember that not every family goes to football together I would also be out in line with the bigger leagues in Europe yeah well, that, some yeah, Scandinavian countries have the to be fair football. That's the most pertinent point uh, that you've said there is that, yeah, that there is, you know, you, you want to be in line. If you look at Rangers um, this season in Europe and since Team Gerrard's taken over, but specifically the moment this season, they wouldn't benefit from summer football. No, because you'd be having no March, November, so uh, it just would be bizarre. I don't know whether you could have it maybe in the likes of some of the, the non-leaks, maybe. Um, and again, I think it, 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 produces, it produces a bit of a negative attitude because it kind of almost says to everybody, we're not really thinking that we're going to qualify for Euros or World Cups. And I know we went a good uh, few decades without going to one, unfortunately, for the men's side of things. Um, but yeah, I think it kind of, again, it's a bit of negativity that that's not going to happen. Uh, so we don't need to worry about it. And it, it, with the, with the, even when it comes to attracting the best players or keeping your best players, it probably doesn't help that aspect either because they'll look at look at it and go, well, no, I want to be playing football wherever everybody else is playing football. Yeah. Now, we might have had that discussion before, but not on the podcast, I don't think. Maybe off the podcast. I would like to see a draft system in Scottish football. Ridiculous. <laughs> I like it. I like no, it. No. But, I but this, is, this is the point of the utopia in terms of everybody should be thinking whatever they think would be brilliant. Personally, I do not like that suggestion, but I know there's a lot of people out there that, that do, so I, I'm, I'm ready to be persuaded. I think if you look at the way that, especially the American teams or sports do it, it's a big TV event. It's massive. You get a weekend... Say, for example, right, this season, for example, Aberdeen need certain positions. You can go, right, here's the bank of youth players that have been maybe come through the performance system or whatever else or whatever else. Because let's let's say as well that players should be able to come into the system outside of the performance schools, which I don't know if that's still happening quite so much. Mm, it would like just be the performance schools or the clubs themselves. So you could have it, market it, big event on TV, You've got all your, your top, I don't know, 100 prospects. People are picking draft picks. You've got the Aberdeen cap or the Celtic scarf or whatever. Folk have got them. Tremendous. The Aussie Rules do it as well, really well. Um, that's a sport I really, really enjoy watching. And the draft system is it's, it's big talk. As soon as the season finishes, or even actually before the season finishes, they're talking about who next year's draft picks are. and Exchanging future draft picks and all sorts. It's, it's a science in itself. So I would like a draft system and it would help maybe make some of the weaker teams stronger and different things like that. Don't we all, I think you would still have Rangers and Celtic being the top teams, but I think you would have, it would be more interesting in terms of how players are distribu distributed. I know we've got the loan system, but 
sometimes I think that the loan system can work two ways. You get attached to a player and you're like, oh, yeah, brilliant. And then, oh, you're back in January and you, you're not going to win the league anymore or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I'm all for the draft system. Right, okay. So, what age are these kids going to be when they're in this pool of draftees? What age are these draftees? Yeah, well, what would you say the average age of a player was in Scotland? Come breaking into the teams from the youth setup. I don't know. Let's say nineteen twenty. Because it used to be under nine. We, we went to a night under nineteen system, didn't we? And then players were getting lost. So you had the players only maybe from like nineteen to like twenty-two. A lot of them were getting maybe lost to the so, game and having to go down the lakes. So what age? What age would you say these players would be? I think you could have anything from sixteen to nineteen. Right. Maybe twenty even. Right. So between the ages of 16 and 20, the ones that aren't picked up by clubs, what are these players doing? Well, they'll do the same as probably what they do just now. They'll end up maybe playing in the lower leagues, possibly. But you can have a draft for each league, doesn't it? Just but, for the top flight. But but so where do they go? The, the, what I'm saying is you have to build up a, a bank of players for this draft system. So they could be a run league team. Unless it's... Well, because then they would be in the draft. They'd be a non-league team. They'd be a team they'd already. Be about a contract, right? So it'd be predominantly it would be players that were below first team level just now, right? So it could then, be the other thing is the other thing is operate a bigger structure and have more college teams, football teams, let's uh, university teams. Let's just go all out and copy the American system. Right, okay. Right. Education. That's probably that's probably a better way of doing it. That's probably get your education as well. And then we only have the problem of players getting lost to football and they've got nothing to fall back on. Uh, that's a, a better idea. I could give you that. Secondly, when you're talking about building up to draft draft days and all the rest of it, we kind of do a kind of similar system in terms of the transfer. We do all. We, you know, we spoke before this podcast, we spoke about you talking about Aberdeen had 12 players that got only 12 players in contract for next season at the moment. Yeah. Right. So we're already talking about next season. We're already talking about transfers. We're already, so that's still, you know, that still generates news. That's still things that we already talk about. But how excited would it be if you have a player, 17 year old, he's the brightest talent that has been for years, say Billy Gilmer, right? Back in the days when Billy Gilmore was the hottest prospect and he's right. available to all the clubs to put their, their offer in. Bear in mind it's just going to be salary or whatever or, or different things like that. But what age was Billy Gilmore when he signed for Rangers? <sighs> he was young. Right, so he's went through all those years at Rangers. That's maybe what made Billy Gilmore as good as what he is rather than having to pot around the, the lower leagues at 16... Should professional clubs though be allowed players at such a young age? I don't see it being as negative as as what you probably see it as. But they can't uh, play football for other teams. They can't play for. If we take we speak to like older older pros or retired guys, they might maybe playing for like two or three teams at the same time. But then, picked up. But then. Do they not? They have to say professional contract. That's where it becomes a, a different thing. They would sign the professional contract at the draft. 
That's what I'm Imagine saying. Imagine it. You're seeing, oh, but, there he is, the top the top guy signed for my team on the draft. Signing it, he's got the scarf on the head or the cap. That's fireworks. This guy says John's doing a firework impression there. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's never really been my kind of thing. Um, Do you watch American sports? Any of the American sports or not? You know, in Denham? I, 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 I could understand them. I dip in and out of, in terms of if it's a basketball game. What I really like actually is more American sports documentaries than anything else. Um, I do I, I do know the kind of build up to drafts and all the rest of it um, is huge. But it is, again, it's tradition in America. It's not tradition here. I don't think it would... I don't think it would really be the same over here. It wouldn't have the same impact because one, their talent pool isn't as big or as great. So you're not going to have a Billy Gilmore every summer. So nobody's really going to be, you know, dying to put on their telly to watch a 16-year-old boy for Casamalk who they don't really know signing for Aberdeen. It's just... You build up. You build, you build up a year in advance. That's what they do. They're like, oh, next year's top prospects, and here they are. And then folk are like clamouring over to get to get their hands on us. But every, every top prospects is in football. It doesn't work the same as basketball. Basketball, you know, your one or two picks will always be stars, really, right? Nine, nine times out of ten. That doesn't always happen in football. It actually rarely happens in football. What are we calling yeah. a star, though? Because remember, in America, it's generally it's just played in that country. What do you mean? Has in like American football. But it's a star for that team. It's a, they end up becoming a star right, for so that team. We can team, have stars. We build, build up our stars. No, but what I'm saying to you is like, let's look at your Islam Farouz, for instance, right? He was going to be the next big thing, right? With the Chelsea and all the rest of it. No, that's that's, that's the problem. We went to Chelsea. He should have stayed in Scotland, part of the draft. John Fleck stayed in Scotland. What happened to him? It took about six years before he actually. Filled his potential elsewhere. Yeah, I, he stayed in Scotland until he was about 20, did he know? I think he went down south. No, but, but, but what I'm saying is, he never became a star until another six years down the line when he was at Sheffield United. He was decent at Coventry enough to Sheffield United, but you know, but it wasn't, he never came back into the international scene until he was 25, 26. That's because he was playing the lower leagues. I know, but this is what I'm saying. But if you joined Aberdeen, He'd have he got games maybe quicker. But he got games at Rangers. Star, he'd, be, he'd have been a star. So, so he would have developed better than he would have at Rangers. Aye, Is that what you're saying? Playing, if you're playing first-team football, aye. But he played at first-team football for Rangers at 16. No many games, though. He didn't play that many games at Rangers. It, it's, he started playing games under Walter Smith. And then... How many games did he play for Rangers? Well, I think it for you. Walter Smith last year, he, he got a run of games... And I couldn't play that great in the left hand side. Forty one appearances in total, and that's just league appearances. Over five years. About that, aye. Five, six years, that's not great. Yeah, but if you left it one twenty one. Put that in a season for a team. Twenty three appearances was his best season. And then he followed out with 17 before he went on loan to Blackpool a year later. Aye, he could have had 
about 150 games in that team time for someone else. But you wouldn't have, you don't know that you would have produced anything differently. It's the same as what I've said to you is football is just generally kind of peak at different times. It's and it's different. It seems to be from an outsider's point of view anyway for for the American sports. Look at uh, Ryan Gould. He didn't do anything really at Sporting, but what he actually did do was progress. Uh, when he did leave, he was a better player once he left. So it actually made sense for him to stay at Sporting as long as he did. And he wasn't getting as much first-team football there, but he got a better football education. But would he not been better playing regular football? At Dundee United? Probably Dundee not. United. But, but would he have been a better player staying at Dundee United than going to Sporting? We never know, will we? But if, you're oh, play, if, you're, if you're playing regular football as opposed to playing under-23s or whatever like that, you're going to progress better. So I think that's, that's something as well that we don't do enough of, as our younger players are still treated as younger players in about 24. But the problem is, the problem, the problem is sometimes we think, every we have to think of footballs as individuals in different cases. You say, right, go, would you play better, play week in, week out? than sport I don't think it would have because I don't think it would have got the same football and education um, and I think sometimes young players here stay too long at clubs I think sometimes you can see that players get played far too often and they burn out um, at times here and I think the other thing that I would suggest is sometimes um, it kind of happened a wee bit, I think, with McCrory at Rangers, Ross McCrory at Rangers, that he played too many, far too many positions and they get used as a kind of utility player. And then sometimes players struggle to kind of figure out what their natural position is. I think McCrory's different in that aspect. I think he now knows. Um, but, you know, other players have suffered from that in the past. So uh, I, I think football is a wee bit more... Um, Nuanced to the American sports. Traditionalist. Traditionalist. That's what you are. Traditionalist. Right, we'll move on. Uh, did you get any other suggestions from anyone that you spoke to? Uh, no, but I've got, a, I've got a million of my own. Uh, I, I don't listen to other people. Uh, the, I, I, I know I you do. don't listen to other people. You don't <laughs> like bad stuff. So, sorry, what was that? Um, let me try and find that. See, because you've you've messed me up a bit. Aye, I know. I know. I've caught you off guard there. The yeah. Uh, I've used that page already. I, I I like the idea that clubs should be more self-sufficient environmentally. Is this um, one of your ideas. That's this what is this one is of your ideas. No one else's. Fun. This is what I've been. Um, so. I think there's so much that could be done, like paperless. We should be a, a lot of clubs should now be a lot more paperless than what they actually are. Um, there will be some fans. I do understand that, like a kind of a ticket to collect or a, a program. Um, but even in that, those instances, we could have recycled paper. We're doing these sort of situations. Um, it rains so much in Scotland. Why we're we not harvesting the rainwater? Use that to water our pitches. Then the stadiums aren't causing any sort of uh, 
you know, uh, need our, our local services. Um, solar panels. The solar panels, the stadiums. So these are these are all ideas. These are all ideas that have gone either clubs down south or on the continent. These are all ideas that have worked uh, elsewhere. Um, produce, social local produce, rather than getting things brought up from, you know, factories abroad or down south or whatever, you know, you're somewhere maybe Aberdeen sourcing something from Glasgow. Instead of doing that, why they not try to source something maybe closer to Aberdeen? Um, that was just an example. I'm not saying that Aberdeen do do that. Um, you know, I, I think those sort of things um, would just make you know, Scottish football has always been innovative and it's always been, let's look at improving our actual environment rather than anything else. And Especially when we're talking renewables. Like yeah. We're leading countries for renewables, so yes. That'd be good. Um, you know, we know there's quite a few stadiums on the coasts that would, you know, you put a wee wind farm beside them and they generate their own power, no problem at all probably generate the wind power for their community, never mind just a stadium with the wind power you would get abroad or something like that. Um, so, yeah, just something like, something that's, again, a bit more user-friendly, a bit more environmentally friendly. All these sort of things would, I think, attract bigger crowds, I think, rather than, you know, just your, your, your usual football fan, I think, that people would then go and support these teams because they're environmentally friendly. You know, I, I do think fans would turn up that you that maybe never thought about football before. So because if they, they weren't interested in football, they would go just because they're being environmentally I think, friendly. Do you think? I think there would be there be there would be more interest, and I think if you aligned with somebody's social beliefs in that aspect, then they would go. And then if they enjoyed, they would then enjoy the whole atmosphere and they, they would get into it. Um, I'm not saying they would all stay. I'm not saying they would all go, but I think there would be a, a more a, a greater uptake and I would say that it would be an easier way for football to then hold on to those fans. Sure. And then I know one of your other points is about the educational side of things, which there is great things done by likes of Nil by Mouth, Shorey, Seven Bread, Card and that. Still, more is to be done in our game. Obviously, we've got other issues to deal with apart from racism, prejudice, um, the whole sectarianism issue. Which again, it leads to a bit like what I was saying with the environmental thing. It leads to a better fan experience overall if you can include a fan from any walk of life, and that they don't have to worry about sectarianism or racism or bigotry on any sort of form um homophobia or anything like that um and i know that there are the clubs um, out there are kind of starting a kind of lgbtq and everything else i can't remember the full um theory, but they've got supporters groups um, just directly um, on these sort of situations i think we should have ways of ethnic minorities try and get tickets um to to the ethnic minority groups or to poorer parts of society. Um, I, I, I've got an idea that I would like to see football clubs give tickets to families that are using um, 
they're kind of uh, food banks. You know, a lot of these communities now have clubs that are producing food banks. So I'd like to see them giving them some of these families some tickets. With the maybe some of that going on. I think no, there is the St Mirren. St Mirren certainly the Smysa certainly did that um, when football fans were allowed in the stadiums, um, and then. As well, as well. Yeah, as well as as well as that, you also give them a free meal ticket so that they get a, a drink and something to eat. I'd love to see a more expansive menu when it comes to food Definitely. football grants. Um, I I remember going for a, a job once at a, a football club that will remain nameless. Um, and I was thinking of different ways to try and get bigger crowds and stuff like that. And one of my ideas was pre-game, if you've got a car park available, which this club did, um, have a kind of... It's not really staff things they do in America, is it? It's not a tailgate party, <laughs> but it's more, it's more Scottish. It's like barbecues. Scottish, barbecues Scot- like Scottish equivalent. It's, a, it's like food markets and stuff. Yeah. It's a market. So you're again having local producers coming in. You know, I don't, the clubs will say, oh, but they're then taking money off us with the food and stuff. And I'm like, well, no, you wouldn't be because you would be charging them for the, the stall. So you still be getting money and you'd be getting more people because then they would maybe go to the market and then buy a ticket to the football. Yeah. Um, and anything that's different in terms of food and drink and experience, match experience. Yeah, so basically, what I would, as well as the educational side of things, everything should be geared towards making the match experience as, as the best possible it can be. And that is kind of... If it, if it means cutting off certain fans because they're not learning their lessons, then that's what you do. You have to cut off certain fans. because And my idea would be if you prune the kind of bad leaves of a, of a plant, then you get a better plant in the in the, the long term. And that's what would happen, I would, I would suggest, with Scottish football. Um, in the back of that, should clubs be fined for repeat offences? I know it's a difficult one because if if they if they do not do enough to show that they are trying to snuff that problem out, then yeah, you know if they can prove that they that they are doing they are sending messages over tannoys, they are putting social media posts up, they are going to schools and helping education in the schools, they are sending fans to rehabilitation courses and things like that. If they can prove that they're doing that, then no. But if if they aren't keeping up their side of the bargain, then yeah. Definitely. Um, and the whole, as I say, I think the whole match day experience, I would have things after games. Football clubs sometimes think that they've got fans between two and five o'clock. And it shouldn't be the case, you know, you should have, and I know clubs, certain clubs do this, but every club should be looking at it. That most have got kind of social clubs and bits attached onto them that you think, right, well, stay for your dinner and have a, a Q&A with a legend or have a quiz night or have, um, you know, whatever, just charity dances and raffles and all sorts. Um, you know, they can't drink during the game, so let them have a couple of drinks after the game and socialise and, you know, again, make it, you know, more, you know, fan kind of friendly. 
No, I fully agree. Um, I think it's something that I've experienced abroad at different grounds. Germany, particularly, does it superbly. Um, went to Man City, and the whole fan experience was superb. They had like Sky TV outside. You could watch the previous game that was on on TV. Watch the highlights. Well, that's the thing. When you're talking about drafts and I kind of poo-poo your idea and things like that, what I would take from American sports is the fan experiences. They are so much superior. They are so much better. Um, They engage more. Their content's more aimed towards the fans. It gets more fan engagement. And then they then give the fans what they want. And the fans... It kind of works in harmony, and that's what we should be doing in our, our game. Definitely. So I think we've come up with a few good few ideas. Some we agree on, some we don't agree on, which is the way it is. That's how things go with football. Is there any other ones you want to mention? Um, let me just think off the top of my head. One that I had another one that came up from certain people was better facilities in terms of, in general, toilets, etc. Need to be a bit of a a better situation. I remember um, talking to Jackie Wall, who's the Partick Thistle chairperson, and there was a kind of kickback on the produced um, refurbed toilets for, for women. And there was a bit of a kickback from the kind of um, old school Partick Thistle fan. There was obviously male and things like that. But we have to look at what we provide women at football games and make it better. Um, and that should look at the kind of toilet situation. Um, and it should be across the board that for a lot of clubs, they should probably have better facilities for all fans. But I certainly would suggest to football clubs that women are kind of underappreciated in that sense of things as well. Um, I think Celtic are providing better facilities for a wider range of people as well. You know, they had a, a vegan um, kind of food outlet. And I think that I thought that was a great idea. Um, so I think, you know, as I say, part of this would have started their kind of women day sort of situation and they had the, 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 the refubs. Um, I, I see a few, quite a few of the non-leagues have started doing um, ground maintenance, making disabled, uh, I think it was Blantyre Vicks, or the, was it Blantyre Vicks, is that right? Blantyre? Yeah, that's a team, yeah. yeah. Um, they had a new kind of area for wheelchair access that they'd set up. Um, so I think I think they are uh, understanding that um, Football should be more inclusive and the facility should be better. Um, sometimes it's understandable, money's just not always there. And, um, that's part of the problem. And I, I know there's a few things out there that grants and stuff that they should be going for. Um, and that's the, the other thing I, I would suggest is we should be, the Scottish government should um, have schemes available for, to help um, because I think they underappreciate just what Scottish football does for the local communities. Aye. No, absolutely. Um, but I think that's us. We've done Perfect. well. Come up with a few suggestions. If anyone is listening that wants to approve these suggestions, then terrific. Anything that's going to improve the game, the experience overall, 
Um, I think the biggest point is for everyone is appreciate oh, the fans. My last thing, my last thing would be produce wingers. Okay. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> because topically, the, the last subject I brought up previously about better facilities, I am busting for that. So, what are you busting for? Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to have another drink here. I probably shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Waterfalls. Aye, exactly. Right. Cheers, Scott. Cheers. Thank you very much. <laughs>